So, this evening we're going to uh, start our uh, discussion of Tantra. And in order to really do that effectively, I need to have a little bit of information from you in terms of... uh, because I could teach it, obviously, in many different ways and uh, many different levels. So I would like to know, first of all, how many of you have actually had tantric initiations? And how many people are actually involved in doing a tantric practice? I mean, many people go to these initiations just sort of as a so-called blessing. Good. Good. What I'd also find very helpful is uh, if you give me some idea of what you would like to learn about in terms of Tantra. Tantra is a very vast topic, and uh, so many different things can be discussed in terms of that. One of the things that I have found helpful in teaching about it is to give a lot of time for questions, since uh, people often have uh, many things about Tantra that are rather puzzling to them. So I can give a general overview. There are a few points that uh, I was asked to speak about. But uh, also, I would like to ask you to uh, think of various things. It doesn't have to be specifically a question, but it can also just be a particular topic within Tantra that you would like to know more about. Hmm. So we'll leave uh, enough time for that, and uh, hopefully you'll have some things that you would like to specifically find out about, because the whole point of our gathering together this weekend is to do something that would be of benefit to you. So before we start, are there any specific topics just that you can think of within Tantra that you'd like to know about? And of course, I'll ask this again tomorrow morning, so you have time to think. Anybody? Yes, please. How to generate more peace among people with Tantra. Okay. Yes? Right, how to transform negative emotions into Mm -hmm. positive. What's interesting is that the two questions that you've asked really uh, don't necessarily have anything to do with Tantra. (laughs) But that's fine. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, we're not obligated to speak about Tantra. (laughs) <laughs> but that was what was announced. So if you have some questions specifically about Tantra, mm-hmm. yes? Uh, so is it true um, that um, through Tantra one is able to reach enlightenment uh, more quickly? And if it is true, then why is that so? Right. Well, that was a major topic that we were going to, I mm-hmm. was going to speak about, yes? Mm-hmm. So if you take a Tantric initiation... Mm-hmm. There are several um, uh, vows. Vows, thank you, that you take, and uh, one of those is involved with uh, sexual conduct. Mm-hmm. And um, in case where the practitioner is in a relationship, mm-hmm. uh, so one of the vows uh, obviously is upon is um, on not uh, discontinuing the practice. And so this brings up the question: how not to discontinue practice if you're actually engaging right. um, in a sexual intercourse? Okay. Very good. So we have some quite specific questions. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. So maybe this is enough because I certainly will not remember 
all these questions, but uh, it gives me a general idea, which is very good, so that I can try to uh, uh, suit the course in such a way that will be helpful for you. So as we go along, then when we have the time for questions, ask them specifically, please. Mm-hmm. Okay. The first thing about Tantra is to have some idea of what is Tantra. Tantra comes from a Sanskrit root, verb, which uh, means to stretch. So this uh, has uh, two meanings. One meaning is uh, referring to something with a, uh, a long continuity, and uh, then a second meaning And the the Tibetans, by the way, uh, translate that meaning of the word. And the second meaning is uh, uh, stretch in in the sense of the strings that are stretched to make a loom on which you weave, you know, cloth. So both of these uh, etymologies reveal a great deal about uh, what Tantra is all about. So everlasting, I mean, a continuity, a continuum. Uh, We're talking here about an everlasting one, one that goes on forever, right? So we have three levels of that that uh, we speak about in uh, general in uh, Buddhism. The basis, the path, and the resultant level. So basis level that we're speaking about is the continuum of Buddha nature. Now this word Buddha nature is made up by Western Scholars or practitioners or followers of Buddhism, there's no actual word Buddha nature. We're not talking about the nature of a Buddha. But uh, rather, what we're talking about are the, the various factors that we all have that are characteristics of a mental continuum, which also goes on forever, that will transform and allow for the transformation of uh, becoming a Buddha, of the body and mind of a Buddha. What are the things that are part of the mental continuum that will transform into the body and mind of a Buddha? That's what we're talking about. So we have some three different types. We have what are known as the um, evolving Buddha traits. I mean, Buddha traits or characteristics or things like that is, is a more accurate translation. So we have uh, evolving ones, ones that can grow. Uh, These aren't characteristics of a Buddha. These are characteristics of our mental continuum that will allow us to become a Buddha. And then there's the abiding factors. That refers to the nature of the mind. And the third one is the fact that the mental continuum, these factors can be, the evolving ones can be stimulated. So, What are we talking about? We're talking about the evolving ones. We're talking about what's usually translated as the two collections, which I prefer to call the two networks. So we have a network of positive force or positive potential, sometimes called the collection of merit, right? Or positive force or potential. And uh, the network of deep awareness, sometimes called the network of what wisdom or insight or something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we all have some positive potential, some positive force. Otherwise, we never, and you can demonstrate that to yourself, if you ever have any feeling, even the most minute feeling of happiness, that demonstrates that you have the network of positive force. Because that's what comes from it. 
So everybody has that, beginningless. Obviously, we also have a network of negative force or negative potential because we feel unhappy a lot of the time, too. But that's not what, we're, what is uh, usually spoken of. So, two networks, positive force, and the second one is deep awareness that accounts for the fact that we can understand things, that we can, uh, that mind functions. So, if we talk about samsaric situation, uncontrollably recurring rebirth, right? So, uncontrollably recurring rebirth as a result of the network of positive force, we get limited bodies. Samsaric bodies that are going to go through, you know, birth, sickness, aging, and death, right? Lifetime after lifetime, we are reborn with a body that has an expiration date, and it is going to go bad as time passes and eventually wear out, and then we get another one, and another one, and another one. That's the result of this network of positive force or negative force. A mixture of that, because then in each lifetime we have a mixture of sometimes happy, sometimes unhappy. Oh, sometimes human body, sometimes chicken, sometimes ghost. Horrible. A chicken prison. To live our life in order to be chopped up and made into dog food. Wonderful life. As a result of this network of, of deep awareness, you're going to have a mind that's going to be limited. You know, it's completely filled with confusion. You know, various levels of it and disturbing emotions and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. In other words, because these two networks are mixed with ignorance or unawareness, confusion, then we get continuum, and it'll go on forever unless we do something about it, of a limited body and a limited mind. That's what a sentient being is. A sentient being is someone with these limitations. So, that's the basis. That's what we're working with. That's our working material. And you can also speak in terms of body, speech, and mind. I mean, there are many different ways of dividing this. Mm-hmm. And it can evolve. It can get better and better. Also, it can get worse. Now, the abiding Buddha, Buddha factors, you know, these family traits, is referring to the nature of the mind. So, we can speak only uh, just of the deepest nature of the mind, the uh, void nature of the mind. But in many presentations, you can also speak about the conventional nature of the mind, how the mind actually works. And this third Buddha factor is that, Buddha nature factor, is that, you know, these networks can be stimulated to grow. The influence of Buddhas, you know, spiritual teachers, and so on, can be given a boost. You know, it's not just from our own effort. Okay, so that is the basis, Tantra. Now, pathway Tantra is that through our tantric practice, we can have from that uh, network of positive force, rather than giving rise to a samsaric body, it can give rise to, I, I sometimes call them a Buddha figure, the Tibetan word is a yidam. So, a form of a, a Buddha either in our imagination or out of uh, the uh, subtle energy of the body, that can act as a, you know, rather than a samsaric body coming out of this network, as a result of this network of positive force, a um, body on the path that can eventually transform into the actual body of a Buddha. 
physical body of a Buddha. In meditation, we're talking about meditation on the path. What we want to do is to generate the basis of network of positive force, a simulation of a physical body of a Buddha to generate. So we either generate that in our imagination, or we, on a very advanced level, we can generate it from the subtle energy energies of the body. And out of that uh, network of uh, deep awareness, then in meditation, rather than confusion coming out of it, we want to generate some understanding of emptiness and voidness. Right. And the nature of the mind allows for that. Because, you know, it's not self-established as, uh, you know, something which is inherently stupid and confused. And remember the conventional nature of the mind. Remember what that is. What is the conventional nature of the mind? Mind is talking about mental activity, not some thing that is doing it, right? And that mental activity is described from two points of view. From one point of view, it is the arising of a mental hologram. So, even from science, light rays, you know, photons hit the uh, cells of the retina, mm-hmm. and that gets changed into electronic, you know, electric and chemical mm-hmm. uh, impulses, mm-hmm. and comes to various parts within the brain, and seeing is actually a mental hologram that gets transformed into the experience, the subjective experience is like a mental hologram. Yeah, it's the same thing with sound and smell and taste and physical sensations and thought. Same, mental holograms. Right, that's usually, the term for that is usually translated just as aspect of the object, but that doesn't convey very much. Mm. Talking about these mental holograms. Mm. So, So, that's describing the experience, the subjective experience from one point of view. And the, from another point of view, that is what seeing is, or hearing, or knowing, or thinking. It's a cognitive engagement, cognitive activity. It's not that the mental hologram, a, vi- a visual one, arises and then you see it. It's not that a thought arises and then you think it. Is it? One activity. And this happens without there being a separate me and a separate mind as a thing that's making it happen. It's not like there's some little person sitting in our head with this machine called mind and, you know, presses the buttons and then, you know, sight and, you know, holograms arise and so on. It's not like that. Okay? So, what does that mean? That mental hologram can arise of an ordinary body of a human or a chicken, or it could... You know, a mental hologram can arise of one of these Buddha figures, Tara, Chenrezig. That's part of the nature of the mind that allows that to happen. Right, and that is a mental activity. And then, you know, from the deep awareness thing, there's the um, understanding of that. So you can have the understanding of the voidness of that, the emptiness of that. The, the deepest and conventional nature of the mind, of mm-hmm. mental activity... Mm-hmm allows for these two networks to give rise, not just to a basis level of a samsaric experience, but it can give way to this pathway level of 
basically tantra practice. Right? With these Buddha figures, with these so-called deities. And these figures have no beginning and no end. They don't get old. They don't get hungry. They don't get sick. So it's something that we can maintain a much more stable continuum of. So that's the the pathway level. And on the resultant level, from that uh, network of positive force, it transforms into, you know, gives rise to and transforms into the body and speech of a Buddha. So body of a Buddha, that's Nirmanakaya. And in Tantra, specifically uh, the highest class of Tantra, Nutra Yoga, Sambhogakaya is the speech of a Buddha. And then that network of deep awareness is going to transform and give rise to an omniscient mind of a Buddha. And the deepest nature of the mind, you know, the body, the voidness of the mind, that continues now as the Svabhavakaya, the nature. It's mm-hmm. the same void nature of the mind of a Buddha as it is the mind of, you know, before that. Mm-hmm. The voidness of the mental continuum is always the same. It doesn't change. So... That's what Tantra, you know, one, asp- one explanation of Tantra, it's a very, very profound explanation of what it's all about. So we're talking about, just to review, it's important to understand this, we have these two networks, positive force and deep awareness. So positive force, along with negative force, is going to give rise to our samsaric body. Over and over again in samsaric speech, limited, uh, confused, gets mm-hmm. sick. And we have to feed it all the time and put it to sleep. And I mean, it's boring, really boring. Wash it, horrible, horrible. horrible. Brush its teeth all the time. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you know, more than half of our life is being a servant to this body. So... <laughs> You don't have to do that for Shen Raisi. <laughs> you don't have to brush his teeth. So, so we have, uh, you know, from this, this network of positive force, give rise to, on the basis to a samsaric body, or in our imagination, we can have it give rise to a, a Buddha figure form, and working with that, eventually it'll give rise to a Buddha figure form out of our subtle energy, and working further and further, it'll give rise to a body of a Buddha, an actual body of a Buddha, and speech. Yeah, yeah not just imagination. I mean, first imagination, then subtle energy. Mm-hmm. And that network of deep awareness... You know, rather than just giving rise to limited mind and confusion and all of that, you know, mixed with confusion, will give rise on the path to some understanding of voidness, emptiness, conceptual, non-conceptual, that you can't sustain it all the time. It's pathway level. And then eventually, the omniscient mind of a Buddha. And the nature of the mind, conventional and deepest nature, allows for this whole transformation to take place. Because on all levels, basis, path, and result, what is a mental activity? It's giving rise to mental hologram and cognitive uh, engagement. The, the mental activity, the conventional nature of the mental activity is the same. Content is different, but the, the activity, the, the nature of it, is always the same. Mental acti- rising of a mental hologram, mental engagement, and no separate me and mind doing it. It's just happening. You can impute on it. There's me. There's no separate me doing it. 
Right, no separate me outside of this, sitting in our head, doing this. And this whole samsaric situation, we can get a boost of stimulation to boost and to, to stimulate the whole thing, because that's also a Buddha nature factor, through receiving an initiation or empowerment and the relation with the spiritual teacher that gets it mm-hmm. started. And the vows and the close bonds to the practices, so-called samayas, tamsik, mm-hmm. makes the structure, gives the stability to it. So that's what Tantra is about from one point of view. So let's take a few minutes to not just digest that, not just go, oh, you know, digest it, but you know, so, sort of try to review that in your mind. Get a, a mental picture of that. Some idea. I mean, it really is, you can see the whole process. It's a continuum that can work on different levels. So you want to raise the level. The body of a human that has a cold and is getting old and, and so on and is confused or body of Tara with some understanding of voidness, body of a Buddha, the mind of a Buddha. Those three levels all come from Buddha nature factors, which we all have. And because of the voidness of the mind, the emptiness of the mind, it's not that the mind is self-established in one state, you know, that it's stuck. can never change. Just samsaric. It can be influenced, not only influenced negatively by other samsaric beings, but also positively influenced. Initiation, Buddhas, Gurus, dependent arising, causes, conditions, results. Okay? So, try to appreciate and understand that. It takes a while to get used to. But to have any success in Tantra practice, you have to be you have to understand what it is and have confidence in it. To have confidence in it, you have to under, obviously you have to understand accurately what it is. Then you can have trust in the method. Otherwise, it's just crazy. You know, why am I visualizing myself as you know these weird figures with all these arms and legs?
Okay. Perhaps it might be helpful if I elaborate a little bit on how you actually would do what I just asked you to do, which was to think about that for a moment. Because often, maybe not even often, we want to think about certain things in the Dharma. And uh, it's not so obvious how you do that. So, I just explained something, right? You just heard about it, heard it. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've heard this before. I don't know. I'm not a Buddha. I don't know what your past experience is. So, try to get, you know, now you need to repeat it in your minds. Don't not just sit there, you know, with uh, nothing going on in your mind and sort of just uh, let the experience sit in. That doesn't do anything. So, review in your mind very briefly. First, you need to identify within yourself Buddha nature factors. Okay, so I have some positive force and deep awareness. Positive force, negative force. I can experience happiness, unhappiness. Mind works. I understand things. Very, very simple, I'm putting it. And these, of course, happen simultaneously. Right? And the nature of the mind, you know, it gives rise to these holograms and knowing things and doesn't exist, you know, in some static, self-established way. Uh, So depending on, you know, how our minds best work, you either, you know, say that with words or you have some mental picture. Some people think better with pictures than Mm. uh, words. Other people are more with words. Doesn't Mm. matter. No difference. So... Okay, so, you know, they, they, these factors, you know, you, you try to, okay, I have them. And then, so you review that, you know, so it becomes conscious. All right, and then you think in terms of, well, but it can be on, it can function on these different levels. So you imagine, okay, samsaric level, tantric practice level, and Buddha level. The mechanism is the same with all three. So you get some sort of mental picture of that, some sort of feeling of that, then shamatha-style meditation is just focus on that with the general understanding. Shamatha has to have understanding. It's not just quiet the mind. So, so with understanding, this is the process. And then you just stay, you know, you stabilize that, stay with that. Sometimes you have to refresh it. Mm-hmm. That's the analytical side, mm-hmm. so-called analytical discerning. And stabilize it. That's shamatha style. We're not talking about quiet. Besides the point, of course, you don't have mental wandering and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. That's not the, you know, the real thing is that there's understanding. Shamatha is general understanding mm-hmm. with a general understanding, so a general feeling of this thing. I mean, any meditation has to be free of mental wandering and dullness. That's Mm. besides the point. But even if you can, you know, just get rid of that for, you know, a few seconds, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, the thing is to be able to get something. You know, as His Holiness emphasizes again and again, it's understanding that gets rid of ignorance. It has to be understanding for even a tiny, you know, few moments. Then you lengthen the time of that understanding. But there needs to be understanding. So, 
you know, this general feeling that, you know, okay, you have these factors and they can grow. So you get this general thing and then you stay with that. That's the shamatha style. The Pashana style is when you have that stable, then in detail. That's Vipassana. That's the difference. General and detail. And detail not in the sense of that you list, you know, you know 20 different uh, points. But that, bam, you know, you, you, it's, it's in focus with all the detail. So, that's, you know, what we're aiming for in our meditation. We talk about meditation. You know, the same thing. General form of the deity, but then the detail form of the deity. So, you know, when we say, you know, well, think over something, you know, well, you repeat it in your mind, try to get just a general feeling. Ah, yeah, I, I understand what, what it is. You know, there, there's these factors, I have them, everybody has them. That's the general characteristics of the mental continuum. And it can grow, you know, to these different levels. So if I really want to become a Buddha, this is a pretty good way. Then we get the second meaning of Tantra, and this explains why you have all the arms and, and legs and faces. A loom. You want to weave things together. So we have, first of all, to understand that Tantra is a very advanced practice. We have to have a firm foundation in Sutra. It's Otherwise, Tantra practices just children playing, going off to Buddhist Disneyland. So, we've practiced sutra, we have, you know, so lamrim, and, you know, more than lamrim, and we have a a good basis in all of these things, and now, with tantra, we want to weave them together. That's why it's like a loom. Weave it all together to, you know, try to get it all simultaneously, as you would need to do as a Buddha, as you do do as a Buddha. So how do you do all these things at the same time? So, Tantra presents a very good way of doing this, which is that you represent all these various things that we want to have simultaneously in a graphic form. It's called infographic chart that, that represents things. So, four immeasurables, you know, immeasurable love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Well, you have the four arms of Chenrezig, the four immeasurables. So it helps you to keep in mind, all at once, all four. Or many Buddha figures have six arms, six perfections, six paramitas, three faces, body, speech, and mind. And it goes on and on and on. And each of these graphic representations has several different levels of what it stands for, what it represents. So every tiny little thing in the visualizations represents some understanding. So even the mandala, the palace that we're in, every architectural feature represents something. One aim, of course, is to be able to keep a tremendous amount of detail simultaneously in your mind. You know, as a Buddha, we need to have tremendous detail of everybody in a Buddha's mind. But particularly, what all of that represents, what we want to keep in mind. So on this pathway level, first these visualizations, working with the imagination. Visualization doesn't just mean visual. It's, it's imagination. It's all, all the senses. So we want to get all of it going in our minds all at once. It's a method of expanding our minds. 
to include simultaneously more and more aspects of what we have trained in in sutra, putting it together, weaving it on the strings of a loom, weaving it on all the arms and legs and faces and figures in the building and the mandala building and all the architectural features. That's the loom on which you weave all your insights. So, this is what Tantra is, what it's all about. We can derive that from the two meanings of the word, Tantra. So, then we try to absorb that, meditate on that. So, that, so as I was saying, you know, the process. So, you say, well, Sutra, there are all these different things, all these different practices with uh, six perfections and the understanding of the two truths and the four immeasurables and all these different things. Renunciation, bodhicitta, understanding of voidness, all these things. And in Tantra, I'm putting it all together. I need to have that all simultaneously plus a body of a Buddha. You know, that will become a body of a Buddha. If you think of these figures, the general thing is, hey, this has an awful lot of meaning that it represents. Not just some weird trip of, you know, imagining you have a thousand arms and eleven heads. Stands for something. And then Vipassana style, what it stands for, but just the general idea that does stand for something. Then you have respect for it. Try to cultivate this appreciation of what the method is. Okay, so we have some minutes left. Do you have specific questions on what we've been discussing? Not general questions, specific ones. 
Can you repeat in your minds the general in a few sentences what we've spoken of? That's the test. So in general, um, uh, the practice is quite clear. However, in the final stages of the practice, there is some. Uh, there's a question. So if we have a visualization, for example, of Chenrezig with four arms, then the visualization process may be quite clear. However, I wonder if simply by visualizing the deity, the positive qualities will also be transferred, or how does the identification of the positive qualities uh, work on top of the visualization of the form of the deity? How do we achieve the results? Is it purely by the visualization, or is there something else that's missing? No, we want to achieve a body and a mind of a Buddha. To do that, we need to practice, and this is one of the benefits of Tantra, that you're practicing causes for a body and mind simultaneously. So just doing the visualization without any understanding, well, you're just working on the side of the body. So that has to be accompanied by understanding of what all of it represents. So the understanding, that's working on the side of the mind. And you need both in order to attain either of them, and -hmm. they support each other. Maybe you can understand it with an analogy. Speech. You can say the words, but you have, to, you have to also have the meaning. Just the words would be similar to just visualizing mm-hmm. the body. But adding the meaning to the words is the understanding of what the different parts of the body represent. So it's the same thing with mantra. Just saying the, the, the sound of the mantra is not enough, especially if you don't have some understanding of uh, voidness and dependent arising. Then, you know, the mantra just becomes, you know, say the magic words you know, um, for the sorcerer. Same thing with the visualization. You, you know, there's quite a difference between a crazy, I mean, I wrote a whole article on this, the crazy person, you know, imagining that they're Mickey Mouse and a tantric practitioner visualizing themselves as you know, Tara. There's a difference, isn't there? I'm Mickey Mouse. I'm going to lead all beings to Disneyland. Very nice. But I would still like to understand a little bit better your choice of uh, terminology. Uh, Specifically two. uh, uh, One is the hologram. Yes. Because hologram is something pretty complicated. Probably all don't really understand so well how it works, and so I would like to know when you say hologram, what really you have in mind, mm-hmm. and the other is uh, why you prefer this uh, term network. For right. Okay. Very good questions. I like hologram because to me, you know, if you imagine something. It's not physical. What you're seeing from a science point of view, I mean, it's just photons, and hearing is just vibrations of air that are coming in, but it takes a form. And that form is, it's mental. So you can call it mental aspect, you can call it a mental image. But I like hologram because a hologram isn't Solid. It, it gives also the connotation that it's like an illusion. So it introduces, you know, a little bit this non-concrete 
aspect of it, and it seems to describe more, you know, and helps more in terms of the voidness of perception and thought. That's the reason. And I prefer network because it uh, gives the flavor of dependent arising. In other words, if you say collection, that's a static, you know, like a collection of, uh, of stamps. Whereas network implies that all the different aspects are interacting with each other to give rise dependently to different, different things, different experiences, and different pieces of it network with each other in each moment to give rise to something, something else in our experience. So it's much more active and, as I said, gives us flavor of dependent arising. I mean, everything that we've ever done, beginninglessly, has left some amount of positive force or negative force. And different pieces of that network together to give each moment of experience, dependent on also circumstances, external circumstances. Collection sounds to me like uh, in the supermarket, do they have this here, that you buy a certain supermarket and you get points for every thing that you buy, and if you get enough points, then you win a toaster oven, or you get something like that. You win a prize. I mean, that's not the meaning. So, anyway, terminology, very important. What connotation the words give, even if you don't know that consciously, unconsciously. That's why I like safe direction rather than refuge. It's active. Refuge is passive. I'm not talking about something passive, you know, oh, Buddha, save me. So the connotation, even if it's not conscious, has an effect. Buddhism is a very active philosophy, religion, whatever you want to call it. It's active. It's not passive. It's no savior that you just, you know, surrender to. You see, go for the future. Your future is in your own hands. Buddha, you know, said that. Your own hands. Take responsibility actively. Develop your mind. So, that brings us to the end of this evening. So let's end with the dedication. We think whatever understanding, whatever positive force has been built up by this, may it grow stronger and stronger and act as a cause for reaching the enlightenment for everybody. Everybody reach enlightenment. We don't just dedicate it for me. Dedicate it for everybody. Mahayana, Shantideva style. You dedicate both the positive force and the understanding. Remember the two networks. Both. 